and welcome. Coming to you from Waterdeep, I'm Josh. And I'm John, and I'm drinking a health potion as a bonus action. Don't, you're already at full HP, though. Doesn't it give me temp HP? No, that's that doesn't really work that way. Oh. But anyway, this is the Geek ETC Podcast, where we dive into all things you can geek out about. And welcome back. Welcome, welcome. I've already been here, too. This is nice, where I'm not, we're not coming in, just getting right on the mic. Oh, on yeah, mic. you've been, like, hanging out for a while today. Yeah. Because. Because, because, because. So, every other Saturday, we have a, a D&D game that we play that you GM. You are the game master. Do you prefer DM or GM? I don't, I don't care. I mean, I don't know. That is a good question, actually. Um, because, I mean, I guess technically sometimes you're not in a dungeon. So you're not the dungeon master. You're not always in a dungeon. Well, true. I think that, well, it, the game is always going. And, and to be honest, like the dungeon, ma- like if you tell somebody like, well, I'm a dungeon master, they're like, oh, he, leather. I get it. But <laughs> <laughs> that's not, I think, I think I like game master maybe more like GM. I like but game I, master. I think I like calling myself, I've named myself in a few of our one shots, like on Roll 20, I'm like master of dungeons, just because it's fun to say. True. Um, but yeah, that's got like it's got a weird BDSM. I mean, uh, Gander tone to it. Game Master's what Matt Mercer uses in Critical Role. Is it okay? Yeah, they label him as the Game Master. Well, I'm not as good as him, but I'll try no, that. Yeah. Of course. But Ouch. not not the. <laughs> you're a great GM. Though. Thank you, thank you. You're the. Well, I mean, you're you're very much so the best one I've ever had. Thank you, I appreciate that. So, and I've had two. No, I've had, <laughs> I've had, had, I've had maybe three yeah. at this point. Or no, four. I've had four. Yeah, four. And you're by far the best out of any of them. Well, thank so. you. Yeah. I try. I love it. I love doing it. Yeah. So we're, um, yeah, we're, we are every other Saturday, we do a, uh, we play on Roll 20 with some of our folks, some of our friends, but we're all local too. That's the thing. We're all local. We play Dungeons and Dragons 5th yes. edition. And for the first time, this, this current campaign that I've been running started in when? 2020? I think 2020. Was it 2020? Was it that long ago? Or was it 2021? You know what? It might have been April of 2021, actually. Yeah, because we're, I mean, it's already 2023, so we, time is flying by. But for the first time ever, we're going to have, you know, the group of, and some of them you haven't even met face to face. We're going to be playing in person at your place here at the studio and doing a in-person game for kind of like, like a big climactic uh, finale to a, um, yeah, chapter that you guys are in. From what you tell us, we're coming to the end of an arc, mm-hmm. a story arc in our current game. Yep. Um, where we are currently traversing through the water plane. Mm-hmm. The elemental plane of yeah, water. Yeah, the elemental plane of water. We've got our boat, the sea fire, as we call it. That's right. And yeah, it's a it's a pretty pretty epic story so far, and it's it's been ever building, gathering forces to you know, conquer this current task that we have at hand. Yeah. So hopefully it'll, hopefully you guys will live. If not, then <laughs> we'll roll some new characters. Roll some new oh characters. no, the, the problem of having a new D and D character. What a struggle. It's so difficult, isn't it? I mean, it is kind of like picking which of the like 20 you have in your mind. It's hard, man. It's that hard. you want to play next. You're like, I'm going to probably be stuck with this person for maybe a couple of years. Yep. So hope I like them. Yeah. I think, I, and I think like it's it's good to have one that you aren't super in love with as like your first one. I think you know like, well, and that's what one shots are great for. That that is what we're really like, good I've for. got like twenty different ideas. I want to test them out. And like, all right, well, let's do we do one shot so we can at least just test out a character build. And I've had I've had multiple. We've played them. I'm like, 
All right, now that I've actually played it, I probably would want to change things on it and stuff. Yeah, but yeah, there is the one, the one, the one of the characters you're thinking about playing in the future. We did the level twenty one shot of the, yes. with him, and um, you were like, because your your math, even though it was through roll twenty, which is you know a online TTRPG simulator, you know where it rolls the stuff for you. It does all the math, calculates everything for you. It does all the calculations for you, but man, if you had to do that in your head. Oh yeah, the amount of modifiers and like damage bonuses and attack bonuses and stuff that I had at a level 20 character, it was, it was, yeah, daunting. A ranger with a longbow. You're just like, you know. Ranger slash rogue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I had all the sneak attack damage and extra like assassination things and sharpshooter and elven accuracy and... It was it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. Yeah, I remember that. I think I had like, and I was using some. Uh, I typically make a lot of my own monsters up or characters up, and I was using just base ones. Like I was using like a a, a solar, I think, um, which is like a like a very high level celestial being. Right. And I think you one shotted like a solar. There, there was some. Bad dude, we were down in like that dungeon underground. Yeah, and I, I snuck up on him, so I had a surprise attack, which was an auto crit. Yes, and I had my sneak attack damage plus yes. I, all the other stuff I mentioned. Yeah. So yeah, I like with one shot doing like eighty damage, <laughs> which is no, you did more than or, that. Or, or, oh no, I'm thinking of a different situation that I was in at in a different game. They all blurred together. Yeah, no, it was it was over, it was well over triple digits. Yeah, yeah, it was well over a hundred because he was just, yeah. yeah. That was that was a wild one. Yeah, but um so yeah, we've got our game here in a few hours after we record. Yeah. Some, uh the other players are gonna come over. My wife is currently uh cooking some food and making yeah. snacks and drinks and things for everybody. So I think it's gonna be fun. I'm really excited to actually and actually, you know, physically have your character sheet printed out, mm-hmm. be able to roll some physical dice for the first time in this game. Yeah. You know, it, like it's like the Clicking on it, like it's nice at doing all the math and you just click on your attack and it does everything. That's super nice. But at the same time, there's something special about rolling those things and, there is. and having that luck come into play, especially when you roll a natural 20. Oh, it yeah. feels like so much more because you you did it. You rolled it and you got that thing. You didn't just click on a button. And it's like, okay, well, there's the numbers. It's a lot more exciting. And part of you wonders how the like the computer, like obviously it's it's a game of chance regardless, right? Like there's obviously statistically yeah. how many times you're going to roll certain things. But when you play in person or when you roll dice, even if you're just playing Monopoly, there seems like to be like, right. maybe if I just, if I, if I put the five up and then I roll it with the five well, up it, with three shakes, maybe it'll come yeah, out like and this. I, I feel like, you know, the there's the like, you know, put it in both hands and shake it up and you'll blow on it, shake it hard and then like toss it out kind of maneuver. Mm-hmm. But then there's the like you have it in your palm, like again with a certain number facing up and you just let it just barely fall out of your hand mm-hmm. as to attempt to let it just only roll a couple times versus like scattering in the uh, the dice box wherever you roll it. And so I feel like you're kind of adding different levels of chance to your own personal roles if you do it yourself. Yeah. And the, you, sometimes I wonder what the computer like. Whereas it, it's just pure mathematics, yes. random RNG, you know, numbers that it just pops up kind of thing. And I do like, you know, for those that play on Roll20, you can actually go on there and, and enable like virtual dice. So you'll, it, it, when you play with a, with like somebody that's got a, a spell that does like five or 10 D8, it takes a second and it'll, you'll see all these oh, dice yeah. scatter across your screen and then it gives you the number. Or when you especially do a crit and there you see like 20 D4s like yes. roll out, fill up the computer screen of yeah. dice. 
that's always exciting to at least see it on that. So, but again, doing that in person and having a handful of dice and it's even worse. Like whenever you're GM, like they do something and then like they have their DM screen or whatever up. And then you just hear like 10 dice roll like behind the screen. And then you're like, Oh, that's a lot of dice. Yeah. <laughs> like something, whatever they're calculating, uh, something bad's incoming. Yeah. You know, there may or may not be some of that t- today. Um, that's one of those things. That is another thing too. Like as a, as a GM, um, I like doing on a roll 20. I typically don't do video. I, I prefer just to do roll like the over discord, do audio. However, as a GM, sometimes I find that, mm. that being able, like the m- body language is like 80% of language, you know? Right. And it's a huge thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that, especially for this client, like the climactic part, because there's some other elements in it that I'm, I'm excited about kind of getting into right. NPC characters for, but I also, uh, I, I wish like, you know, I like being able to do like big motions with my hands. And it, that kind it's of thing. a whole nother level of communicative, you know, interaction. Yeah. You know, as a, like, you know, you've got the theater of the mind where you're just imagining what the person's saying in your head. You know, of course, on Roll20, we've got the, a lot of good visualizations with the maps and stuff you built yeah, and all that stuff. a lot of maps. So that's really helpful. But yeah, just when you, your GM's like telling you and describing things or, or being, you know, role-playing a certain character, being able to physically, you know, communicate and act that role and stuff does go a long way. Yeah, and I think that's one thing like that was kind of daunting when I first became a GM is I was scared of the theater of the mind um, and just like general things. So when, you know, critical role, we both enjoy critical role. Right. Um, Matt Mercer rarely does, he only, he only uses maps for battles. For battles. Right. Exactly. And so it's all about painting everything well enough. And then, you paint it well, but then you also leave it up just like a good author would do. You leave it up to people's imaginations as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't have to be like, well, there's 15 bricks that goes up and then 20 that go down. You know, you can, yeah. you can say it's a marble room and people will automatically like maybe. And people may have different visualizations for what that room looks like, but that's also okay. That is okay. That's fine. Yeah. And that's, that's part of like, that's what makes books so special is everybody gets to visualize mm-hmm. stuff in their minds. Unless you're one of those people I've seen recently where there's like some people that can't picture things in their head. I've heard about that, that they're like, yeah, they're not able to picture. They're not able to visualize things in their imagination or in their heads. That kills me. Which that the thought of that doesn't even make sense to me. No, at all. No, like I can't imagine not being able to imagine things (laughs) like dragons. Imagine dragons. Hey, Uh, (laughs) I can't. Yeah. Same thing. I can't imagine that. Like I, it wows me, and I think oh, I was like, "Man, that's that's just gonna suck." Because I'm such a creative, like person. I'm always in my own yeah, head, me too. you know, creating worlds and stuff. And I can't. I, it would be so difficult for me. And I imagine people that that have that that mindset, or not that mindset, but or I don't even know if you call it a disability. I think it's just the way a it, trait, a, a trait, a, a, yeah, a character trait of a that character person. trait, whatever your, fe- that, your feature. Yes. If you have that you, feature, you didn't take the imagination feature. <laughs> you didn't take the imagination feature. So you're going to take it at a later level. Yeah. But if you didn't have that, I imagine it would make things like audiobooks or podcasts or something like that. Very difficult media to deal with. You know, that's a good point. Or like, just yeah, like listening to that. So yeah. Imagine like, cause a book at that point, I feel like it would just be words on pages. 
that is the definition of a book, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, but like the, no, the, but the act of reading the book. I agree. Yeah, you, you, it would just be... That sounds boring. It would be mean, like reading a math book. Right. Which to those math nerds out there that love it, hey, I mean, there's probably you. people who are visualizing the math in their heads. What's Y equal right now? Exactly. You don't know. Uh, Nobody does. Someone probably did. That's the scary thing. Because I made the rest of it up with my imagination. Uh, um, that's yeah. It's it's wild that that happens to people like where they're just born and they can't picture things in their head. Right. And I think it's only through. That's one of the good things about social media. Like, is people have have brought that like to like. Hey, I can't do that. It's kind of like a the story. There was a kid in my school. He was in elementary school. And it wasn't until fifth grade he realized he was colorblind. Oh, really? Because he just thought everybody saw the same shades of gray. Huh. It wasn't until they did one of those dot things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That they that he was like, what? What numbers? And Yeah, and everyone else was like, what do you mean? That's a 12, homie. Yeah. Yeah, you can't see that. And I mean, that's a predominantly male thing, you know? Oh, where, for, yeah, it, it's like much higher yeah. rate. Um, and then like red and green is one thing, but this kid was totally colorblind and yeah, he had no idea. He had no idea until they did the thing and he was just like, what? But I've known people who are just barely red and green colorblind. I know one guy was trying to join, he was trying to go aviation in the military and mm. his green colorblind was just a little bit, but it kept him from being able to read radar. Oh yeah. So that kept him. Can't they just change the radar to blue? <laughs> it's, it's just like a video game. Like return. in Fallout, your pit boy, you just change the color, the interface color. You can make it amber. You can make it blue, well, green. That is was one thing that's nice about most video games is they have those colorblind features. Too. They've added those accessibility features in and, there, and it's yeah. even funnier because a lot of people that use it are actually just using it because the, the color is more defined and easier. In, in like, metagaming. yeah, in like Call of Duty, that you could that pro players will choose those other colorblind options because it's, you I mean it's easier to see. You can yeah. like differentiate in foe and friend easier. Hmm. So yeah, that's interesting. Imagine that'd be hard too. Like if you had, imagine if you were colorblind and you were limited with like what you could imagine in your own head. Oh man. Wow. And I mean, and like at a lesser level, I kind of relate a little bit that like as a kid, like I, I didn't know I needed glasses till I was doing driver's ed mm -hmm. in high school. That's a throwback to another episode. I think, I think we talked about that a little Probably bit. Probably so. But yeah, like I, I, you know, I didn't know until you look in the little device and try and read the signs and you can't read any of them. They're like, I think you need glasses. And then you're like, okay. And you go to the yeah, eye doctor and you get your first pair of glasses and you're like, I can, everything is clear and sharp now. I can see. <laughs> well, I'm glad you can see. I'm glad I can see too. It's, it's useful. I've, I've thought of, I've, every now and then Ooh. I think about like getting LASIK okay. because like, I don't really like wearing glasses because I feel like it's a, I don't like being, you know, it being an impedance on my life or like mm. knowing that if I don't have them, I'm hindered of being able to function like the, uh, correctly that it's a, it's a weakness of mine, a crutch kind of thing. What was it? What, what, what was that? Like, I'm trying to remember what the, it wasn't unsolved mysteries and it wasn't X files. It's one of the older, like kind of sci-fi black mirror type things. It's on, I don't know why I'm losing the name for it right now. It's like, there was a lot of them that are black and white back in the day. Do you remember what I'm talking about? The Twilight Zone? The Twilight the, the Twilight Zone. The, yeah. Um, there was that one where the guy was like the last man on earth and he there was he finally had time to read every book and then he steps on his glasses at the end of it. And Oh, really? Yeah, he like steps on, he's like practically blind. He's got big glasses and, you know, like he's like the last man on earth and he's in this huge library and he just loves reading and 
then he drops his glasses and steps on him and crash crushes him. Oh no! Well, if he if he's that intellectual, he can make some new glasses. I don't know if he could see to do it. I don't know. Mm. But no, I guess it is a good point. I I can't really. I mean, I've seen you obviously plenty of times without glasses. It's just that's like who you are to me. Is your oh hey hey this isn't that kind of. Podcast. I just took my glasses off. He just took his glasses yeah. off, and now things are blurry. Yeah, I think that's. I I, I don't blame you. I would, I would get LASIK if I was you. I guess if you whenever you can afford it or whatever, you know. Right. Um, but anyway, back to D and D. You know, you wanted to play a blind character one time. I, I've still been struggling with trying to figure out how I would make that happen. I still kind of want to. I know you do. That kind of blind uh, kung fu martial artist kind of yeah deal. The, the uh, what like the guy from uh, so the, Rogue One or yeah, uh, I mean yeah, Donnie Yen's character in Rogue One yeah type of thing. Like I would like to do something like that. I mean, obviously, I would take the. Uh, Blind sight. I would have you'd have to have some uh, class in either ranger or fight or something to take blind fighting mm-hmm. that uh, fighting style to be able to have that. Plus, maybe uh, is it is is blind sight a perk as well? I think they may give you kind of the same thing. Well, you mean for a feat? There is a fighting yeah. style feat you could take. There, so there, there, what I'm saying, like, there's a fighting style for like the fighters that gives mm-hmm. you. Yeah, there's a blind sight, blind sight thing. I just didn't know if that was also just a regular feat. There is a feat where no, there's not a feat that you can take. I mean, obviously without no. making up one homebrew, but there's there is a feat that okay, you can take fine. where you take the fighting. You get a choice of a fighting style from like the fighters. Yeah, to to be able to put that on any class. Yes. So you could, so I could add that. that to whatever. That's true. Yeah. Hmm. I think that would be interesting. Yeah, it would be interesting, especially like in a world of magic where you could probably become unblinded. You know, kind of. But then you, that kind of ruins your whole character thing. It does really. Yeah. Hmm. It was like a curse on you, and then somebody accidentally does remove curse on you, and then you can see everything and you hate it. And so you're trying to. I wouldn't know anything about that again. kind of instance happening. No, that's definitely not kind of just happened in the campaign, like the, the last episode. Yeah, it of just our, happened to my character in our personal campaign. Yeah. Something similar. Yeah, that's. Yeah, I th- I'm. I think that would be interesting. It'd be really difficult to do for the most part. I think, I think obviously giving you. You would have you would just automatically fail, except it within ten feet of you where you have blind sight, where you could you'd have disadvantage on but perception checks. You, and then you'd have advantage on, on perception hearing. checks, yeah, that involve hearing. hearing or maybe smell. Yeah, yeah, you have keen senses. Yeah, that that was my thinking. I think that would be pretty pretty cool. I agree. Yeah, I would. I would. That would make sense. It would just be hard for the. the that's the one of the things that's more difficult. It would be more difficult to do on roll twenty. Because I don't know. How you just I, have a black screen the whole time. <laughs> you just have a black screen with like in 10 feet of you, you know. Um, hmm. And everybody else, I just would have to give them like perfect vision or whatever. I would have to make the screen dark all the I time. I don't know. But in a, in a real game, like, a, like a, not a real, not that we're not playing a real game, yeah. but in a, an in-person game, that's much easier to do. Yeah. Because I can describe everything and then you're not. I just wear a blindfold. Exactly. <laughs> and I just don't see anything in, in, at Get all. Get really into your character. Yes. I, I gouge my eyes out. Mm. Well, obviously, you guys can tell uh, that we're going to be talking about a little bit of, more of that stuff today. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited to get into that. Um, but first off, if you want to help Josh get LASIK surgery. <laughs> then... Yeah, if you want to help fund my, uh, my quest to not need glasses anymore. Yeah. You can help us out by uh, contributing at our Patreon that is patreon.com slash geek etc 
podcast. Yeah. If it was $1 a month, then you can eventually that'll all add up and Josh can get his LASIK surgery. Yeah. If, if enough uh, people want to become part of the crew, then maybe you could help out with that. Yeah. Or you could serve under me and uh, oh, I've got 2010 vision. So yeah, I've always been jealous of your eyesight. Yeah. Your eyesight and your, in your memory. <laughs> yeah. I've got good those memory. two things you've, you've got uh, advantage on me over for sure. Yeah. I roll advantage with those. But my hearing, my your history my, checks, my history <laughs> checks are pretty good. My right ear though is, is trash. Really? Yeah. My right ear is trash. Too many, hmm. too many, uh, loud explosions and stuff. In my right. right ear. So, um, this week we're geeking out about D and D homebrew rules. That's right. D and D fifth edition homebrew rules. And part of the reason why, well, obviously, cause we're, this is like a very D and D day for us. We've got D and D themed foods and drinks and I, I've yeah. got health potion bottles and, yeah, and edible it, glitter that might make our, our bathroom trips weird the next day. I don't I know. I didn't think about that. I didn't either until I just <laughs> thought about it, but yeah, it, it'll be interesting. So a, a day full of D and D things. So we thought, Hey, it's on our mind, top of mind. So we'll just talk a little bit about, yeah, some homebrew things. Right. And, and this one, uh, I will say is, well, you'll kind of be leading the charge on it. You know, you've spent a, a lot more time, you know, being, doing the GM thing, you know, coming up with these homebrew stuff I've had a handful of things in, you know, my uh, cyberpunk theme one that I'm kind of developing, but it's still early stages. I think we should talk about that a little bit, honestly, too, because that's one of the nice things about Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition is the fact that you can port it over into so many different things. You can use the basic general mechanics of it. Yes. And kind of make your own, put your own flavor and spin on it. Yeah, there's there's a cyberpunk one out there that's that's excellent. There's a Star Wars 5th edition one out there that's really great. We've done one shots with it. And obviously just the regular fifth edition rules. So diving in, one of the first ones I want to talk about, which is, it's not a homebrew rule. It's just a rule that was suggested recently in um, the new 1D&D playlist that's now actually changed back. But I think in the future, this is what I'm going to use is the new exhaustion mechanics. Okay. So the new exhaustion mechanics. So, you know, before it was five levels, right? And Yeah. And at the sixth level, you die. You die. And it was... You know, it made everybody very, everybody wanted to go to sleep all the time or, you know, like a game like Curse of Strahd where you're constantly getting exhaustion. It just got yeah. old that you were, you know, everything that you did was. Could potentially give you exhaustion. And then on top of that, whenever you, like even just one extra level of exhaustion, like was pretty detrimental. Yeah. You, you're like, I don't even want to fight. Like I'm going to roll at disadvantage or every single thing. Yeah. You can't even yeah. do anything. Or you're like, I'm only moving half speed. Mm-hmm. So if there's any difficult terrain or anything, you're moving quarter speed and you're like, you can't get away from danger. You can't do anything. Yeah. And if you're a martial build, so if you're a, if you're a class without magic, then you're really hurt. But if you're a, a class that is not magically inclined or if you're a class that is magically inclined, Unless you're doing like a magical spell attack, if you're doing an area of effect that requires a saving throw, you're, there's really no detriment to you. So if you're throwing fireballs out as like a fifth level right. wizard, there's that's fine. That doesn't do anything to your exhaustion. So the new one D and D rule set, right that that came out um, that has been since kind of like they reneged on it and then went with something else is. Every level goes to 10 levels of exhaustion. Okay. And every single level is just a minus one. So at level one, it's minus one to your to all, everything? To, to all rolls. Oh. So now rather than rolling at disadvantage or whatever, so, it, you know. Do any of them affect your speed at all? I don't think so, no. It's just minus one to everything. Wow. 
So your attack rolls, your uh, ability checks, your skill checks, saving throws, all that kind of stuff, you just get a minus one. Yes. So at the top thing, so it's never going to kill you, I guess. It will kill you after 10. Oh, okay. So after 10. So at like the 11th one or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I think for, for some of the stuff that we're planning on in the future, I've, I've thought about making the 10th level the killing one. If not, just I'll leave it at 11. That's fine. I mean, too. That, that still kind of makes sense though. I mean, cause yeah, if you're like eight or nine, you know, if you're rolling a strength check mm-hmm. and you have a minus eight. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good signification or a. Uh, that's a good signifier. signal, yeah, signifier yeah. that you're you're pretty dang tired. Yeah, yeah, because if I mean, if you had a even if you were building, you had had a strength of eighteen. If you're only rolling with a strength of ten, mm-hmm. that's pretty. It can be pretty significant. That's I mean, huge. that's a plus zero at that point. Yeah, but it also is one of those things that I think because the action economy, uh, not even the action economy, because this this kind of like lending itself towards combat. The honestly just travel mechanics and economy for that or magic where everybody is just like, okay, well let's just take a nap. Let's go to sleep and do our eight hours. There's so many long rests that come in. Mm. And I think this like, Oh, it's just a minus two to my rolls. I've already got a plus five or plus seven. So it's only, now I'm only down to plus five. You know, I think it's one of those things where it might allow people to actually start taking those. They're like, you know what? Let's, let's travel a little bit longer. That you, you can, it, you, you're more inclined to risk, you know, we're just going to travel through the night. Yeah, you'll get a level of exhaustion, but that's not, mm-hmm. you know, that it is what it is. It's not that, that big a deal. Whereas it, before is if you're like, oh, yeah, you can continue traveling tonight to maybe make it to the city, but you get a level of exhaustion and now every, the whole party's like hindered pretty bad. Yes. And now everybody's at minus one, but that starts to creep up. I think that'll creep up where people, for me as a, as a GM, where I will be like, oh, I like this. Where people are starting to like, oh, I rolled a, you know, I rolled an 18, never mind, it's a 17. You know what I'm saying? Right. And that's what you, you needed a 17. I think that'll be nice to mm. start having that versus an actual disadvantage. Because sometimes disadvantage can kind of be a buzzkill. Right. Um, and so I, I like that a lot, especially with, and another thing I want to talk about kind of is just like changing your long rest and short rest mechanics. Right. So, you know, right now a short rest is one hour. Long rest yeah. is for most races is four, is eight hours. Eight hours. Yeah. You got your right. couple, you know, your constructs or elves and stuff that you only need, four need hours meditation or something. Yeah. yeah. And, um, I've watched several videos. I've seen that like, you know, in the D and D like in the dungeon masters guide or player's handbook, one or the other, where it talks about changing those. Like if you want a more, arduous campaign, then you can change the long rest to a 48 hours or, you know, in light rest, like a short rest becomes like 18 to 24 hours, something like that. Mm. And, uh, and that, Oh, continue on. Sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, and, and that's kind of, uh, implying that a, a short or long rest doesn't just mean Sleep. sleeping. Yes. That a rest is, can encompass, you know, yeah, you, maybe you take a nap, mm-hmm. but maybe you're just chilling by the campfire, you're reading a book, you're sharpening your weapons, you're eating food, all of that sort of stuff. That's all rest. Yes. And I think I like that, but I like a shorter period of time. So right now, you know, one of the things that we're, what, what we've talked about in our forum for our other thing that's going to be coming up in the future, our future project, yeah. uh, which will be another, should we go ahead and talk to about, to say it? I mean. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's still a ways out, but yeah. yeah. We're working on a, a, an actual live play D&D podcast. We've got some folks, we've got some amazing role players from across the pond in the UK 
plus some of our group. And yeah. I think it'll be a lot of fun. And we've, I've got a pretty fleshed out world. Um, a completely from scratch built up world yeah, that you've created. With like a million countries. And, yes. You know, if you want to know how many like soldiers make up a company and whatever, right. The, whatever nation I got you. But, um, what, you know, what we're, I'm looking for feedback on it is, is we are going to go to 24 hour long rests. Um, Right, which kind of, on, on like I kind of like that idea because it kind of makes sense that if you, you know, if you think about real life, that if you know, if the D and D world existed and you were in that world and you had a fight with some monster mm-hmm. and like got badly injured, you know, people in your party got badly injured, you know, you had to kill this thing and stuff like that would be such a taxing event. Yes. You know, I mean, you just see like even someone in just like a boxing or an MMA fight, like how taxing it is just to go, a, you know, a couple rounds, you know, 10 minutes, just regular fighting somebody, not to the death. Yeah. You know, you know, you're not going to really get killed. But if you're fighting for your life against a monster, that's really going to take a toll on you. So like it kind of makes sense that you will have to, you know, you've got to take time to stop bandage wounds, you know, you got to have time to heal. Yeah. You know, you have, you got magic that can help with those things, but that gives you time to do those things. But it also makes the, the, you being able to get your magic, your spell slots back more difficult because right. now you have to wait. So now in the mechanics that I'm looking for, it'd be like a 16, 14 to 16 hour short rest. So your warlocks would not be able to just take a break or your wizards would not be able to just take a one hour break and recuperate spells. Mm. Um, and you know, it would take a second still, which is like, it would take the better part of a day still to receive some of that magical energy back that you could then put mm-hmm. into things. And then your, you know, everybody else, whatever like magical means of healing or whatever they yeah. else they've got going on, you know, a full 24 hours of light rest or we're going to a restaurant or chilling out or whatever. But right. it also makes it more important because if you did have a battle with a monster, you know, if we're on campaign, and you are out and you are trudging through the wilderness with the intent of, you know, I'm, we're, we have to do something somewhere else and you have an encounter. It makes encounters more scary, I think. And it, yeah, I, I feel like there's more at risk. You can't, again, you, you can't, you're going into it knowing that when you're done, you can't just take an hour mm-hmm. real quick or you know, even just, we'll just sleep at night and get up and, oh, everybody's all much better, you yeah. know, freshly like a, a newborn child. I think, and I think because if you did do a short rest, I think people would be more inclined to roll hit dice than is, than is normal. You know, a lot of times hit dice are yeah. kind of forgotten about because people don't take short rests unless you're like a warlock or a wizard or something to that effect. Yeah. You want and one. in a lot of cases, in a lot of games, like where you could, like if you, if you haven't just a scenario, an opportunity to take a short rest, a lot of times you could just take a long rest. Yes, exactly. You say, we'll just set up camp and just sleep for the night. Yep. We'll set up Liam's tiny hut and go to bed safely. And that's the whole thing is now that's yeah. not an option. Now you have to have more downtime and you start incurring those exhaustion penalties at those minus ones while also like you are going to have to do a better job of setting up camp because if you have yeah. another encounter where you've not been able to heal as fast, your magic hasn't returned as quickly or whatever. And on top of that, you know, if you've got some time sensitive mission that you're on mm-hmm. that you got to get something done in a certain amount of time, or there's someone, you know, hostage or some town in danger, or something you've really got to factor that stuff in, you know, knowing like, well, we got to get there, but we also, you know, we're hurt. 
Yeah. Like you got to weigh those options and make that decision on what you're going to do. Yeah. And I think, I think it'll be interesting. I think it'll be interesting to play through that with, and, and with that long rest mechanic, because it makes the chance of like random encounters far more deadly. It makes people who have survival skills, you know, it's very rare that, um, for example, the ranger, you know, so who has like an outlander background who can, who can, it says, Hey, you can find food and water for up to so many people. Right. Right. It doesn't get used a whole lot. That's a good point. And it will get used more now because it's going to be like, we need food. I mean, even now, like in you know, the game we're playing and in most other games, it, the entire topic of rations never comes up. Yeah. You know, you never talk about eating really much of anything. Well, and that, that's the, well, one of the good things is you have the ship. You guys have an actual ship and you guys harvested a lot yeah. of stuff and you guys have a, a, a fella who's been cooking. Right. A half orc with some diminished intellect who, yeah. who makes up some, he makes up some nice taters. He's good at cooking. Though. He's good at cooking. I tell you what, <laughs> but the, um, it does. I think it'll make one of those things like we have to set up camp. We need to rest. You know who's going to go out and get something, and I think it also makes like there's a one of the optional ranger features is is you're able to remove a level of exhaustion during a short rest. So that would allow you to if you were a, a ranger, you can kind of push the pace and have like a couple levels of exhaustion where you're getting a minus two to your your all your skill checks under our other um, homebrew rule uh, or you know the one D and D playtest series, and then you're able to lose one over the short rests. Then you, you sleep off the second one and you're kind of a more, you know, get right. after it guy. You kind of have that, that survival aspect right. to yourself. You're able you're used to, you've lived on the, the edges of, you know, society and been able to forage and, you know, survive on little, Yes, you know, and make, make, make your way. Yeah. And I think that'll also be good. Cause I, I would also, one thing I would also want to do with that is, is make people who have proficiency in medicine able to do more healing not rather than just a cleric you know right yeah that you you'd be able to heal wounds even if it's just small amounts you know without you know again using a, sp- a spell or a health potion or something just like i mean because that's the thing too that you don't factor in is just there would still be an aspect of just actual first aid yes you know you've got wounds like okay yeah you don't have to just sleep and your wounds heal themselves you don't have regeneration or magic to do it like you could also just, you know, put some bandages or some antiseptic Healing or something kit. on there. Yeah, like that's a healer's kit almost always seems to be used. And I think it, in the book it even says the healer's kit is used specifically to um, like stop like somebody who is stabilized, who stabilize somebody who's unconscious. And I think if you have a healer's kit and it has so many uses, expending one of those uses to increase. I, I think you could even have a, a, a dice roll on the healer's kit based on how much health you want to improve them, but it's also how many uses it takes away oh, from okay. it. So you could have like a base, like, Oh, I'll give them one or two and it doesn't really do anything. But if you wanted to, you, you know, could have a, you could have a, even a table set up that like, if you, you know, roll a, a five, then it, you get this many health points back, but it, it like for, for more health that you do, it uses more uses. So you could have a table kind of set up yes. to what that could, what those different things could equate to. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, that, so that really interests me too, uh, you know, cause I want to make, you know, clerics obviously are like, everybody says, well, they're the healer, they're whatever, but we've talked about it in our, in our class episode that we did a while back, you know, clerics are, they're kind of like the intermediary between 
the celestial, you know, the gods and, you know, mortal folks. And they're also not just regular old healers. You know, I imagine there would still be hospitals. There's still places that have, you know, people who fix people up. The clerics just has that extra ability where they can magically heal people. And it's a very unique thing. And it's not what you can go find a dozen clerics. You know, there, there are probably yeah. no clerics in the hospital, you know. Right. Unless there was a cleric who set up a hospital, you know, kind of like a knight's hospitaler thing. And that also, you know, opens up the availability, too, that, you know, there, I'm sure there's been many cases, many uh, D&D groups that none of the party members, like, want to play a, cal- a cleric. Yeah. You know, but somebody's got to play one like you, you you can't have a campaign without a healer and that's one of that, that is that is something that i i, I don't want to use the word hate because it's too strong because I, I like that people are concerned about party dynamics i don't like that somebody has to say well maybe i gotta play a different class for party makeup as a gm i want to be able to like enable people to play whatever class that they want to play and have a successful comp- campaign for the most part you know, so if everybody wanted to play a human fighter, yeah, they should be able to do it as long as one person, you know, like, hey, oh man, we need to get healers kits and do that kind of stuff. Or yeah, you, on top you of have he- somebody that maybe specializes or focuses on, they just stock up their, you know, their backpack and their their supplies that they have with more of that stuff. You know, they carry the group's medical supplies. Yeah, and in that guise, you would have, I would think, healing potions would do like a basic healing potion would do more. Yeah, off the get go. And obviously that would, that would love, that would also improve with level. So you would, instead of doing 2d4 plus six, maybe you're doing like 2d10 or 2d12. Yeah. Put, put more importance and, uh, I guess just more magicalness into things like potions. Yeah. You know, because it is, it's a magical thing. Yes. And so, yeah, have more significance to that is the word I was looking for is make yes. them more significant that if you have a magical potion you're drinking, yeah, it does magical things to you. Whereas, yeah, you could, you can still just heal yourself. Yeah. And whereas that you use a healer's kit, that's like a one, like I can use it once on you to get HP back, but that's it. And whatever I roll is what I roll. And that's, that's kind of for this series of injuries. That's, that's all the heal. That's all you can get from that healer's kit. Yeah. And I think you make healing potions slightly more rare, you know, right, or right. more, definitely more, more expensive. expensive and, sure. um, like a good commodity. I like, I like the general idea of making things this magical, either, whether it be like enchanted magical weapons or potions and stuff, making those more rare, more valuable and more significant. Yeah. When you find them. And I feel like that's one thing I've, I've kind of screwed up in the past, especially with your guys' Kimmy. I've given you so many toys sometimes, <laughs> which is fun, which is but, fun. But I think the reason why is because some of the campaigns that you and I have played in, it was kind of few, very few and far between. So to kind of compensate. And for so like, I was like, well, bit. I really liked getting a thing. And yeah. also I liked finding and create, I like, I create most of my own magic items yeah. and giving you those as well to match, you know, and some of them are, you know, like you, your character is a, a minotaur and you have a, a specific ax yeah, yeah. that I've built from the ground up because it, it's kind of leading you. Yeah. It's not sentient by any stretch, but, but it, down the story path, it down, it's, yeah. got, it's, it's got a story thing to it, you know? And I think that's good. And so, and on top of that, this game that, you know, we're talking about is, is, kind of one of our, our first big games that we've played too. Yes. So there's a lot of learning that's going with it. And, and we know, have two people who have not played before. Yeah. Two, two of our other players are, are and so this is their first game at, ever. Yeah. And as like a good way to bring in new players, like it, it, it's a, it's a 
logical thing to give them a couple of fun toys to play with. Yes. You know, to keep that retention, keep that interest in the game and build that that fascination with, you know, the world of D&D. Yeah, give them an, an awesome lightsaber <laughs> equivalent. Yeah, yeah, which I did, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. season psychic. Yeah. Exactly. Stuff like that, yeah. Like it, you know, for somebody who's not, maybe not as into D&D as we are, like something like that can go a long way of like yes. making it fun and making it interesting and stuff. Yes, and so, especially unique items to them. Um, but as I say, at the same time though, I do really like the idea of, you know, what we can do with our, this you know, new campaign of, of you know, because it's going to be a, a long thing that, you know, making those things more rare and essentially like it almost feels like to me, which is exciting to me is taking D and D and putting the survival mod a little bit yeah, on it. Like that you'd see in, in games like Skyrim or fallout or some mm-hmm. of those things where you like add hunger mechanics and thirst mechanics and, you know, things are harder, like the hard modes sort of stuff. I kind of like yes. the idea of turning up the difficulty on a D&D. little bit. Yeah. I want it to be to the point where it's not, it does not make it to the same thing that we've had trouble with, with the exhaustion mechanic where you're like, Oh, we got to spend three hours every day trying to find food. But I want the, the things that right. the ranger can do or somebody that's proficient in survival or nature. I, I want them to be able to right. shine in those situations and and people are thankful that they have perception that or, they, or, they have or, they have a ranger who's good in mm-hmm. like survival. That's one of the things too. That there's certain skills like those ones, like nature and survival, and some things that if you were to look at a like a graph chart as you know that showed all, that listed all the skills and their number of uses per campaign kind of thing, some of those would be way lower. You know, yes. nature survival. Some of the things would be way lower than stuff like perception or yeah, pick rates, yeah, or acrobatics or athletics or something. And that's because people are coming into it, and and this is it's probably one of the, the most metagame things with the intention of without the intention of metagaming is is people looking at that were like, well, God, my character will probably have survival, per, but I know I'm going to need investigation because intelligence is my my dump stat. I'm going to want to find things. Yeah, you know. And so I want people to feel good about whatever they choose. And obviously I think every GM should kind of look into that, you know, when they they should look at what their, their character's proficiencies are, you know, with, with the captain of our ship, you know, this whole campaign is kind of his backstory. One of the, one of our other players Mm -hmm. plays a half elf and he's, he's got a sailor background. So I gave him a ship to grab this arc, not necessarily the campaign arc. Yes. Yes. So in this, but he, yeah, he's, he has a he has a ship and you know i've made him make a bunch of checks with his navigation and his yeah. his vehicle handling cuz i want him to feel good about having those yeah. and them not just be silly numbers that are on his character sheet that like yeah. what is that again and like you get that feeling of like you know that i have this thing over the other place like this i'm good at this particular thing yes and i these are areas i get to shine over the other because players and stuff. it is significant if you, you as your as your minotaur were to take the wheel of the ship it's you, not going to turn out it's great. not going to go good yeah. yeah i'm i'm a cow man i don't know how to drive a boat no but he does and the, yeah. there's a huge difference in the numbers there so i think those are important so talking about turning turning up the survival mode a little bit with the increase in a long rest time I've also seen, and I plan on, we, this is another thing that we're kind of open for discussing, and I know you've discussed with me as well, is changing the way the magic works a little bit. So spell slots remain the same. Right. Right? You would still keep the same number, but in my proposed rule set, you would be allowed to cast spells 
without a spell slot. Even if you have no spell slots left. Exactly. But based on the level of the spell. So if you were to cast, if you were out of spell slots, right? You have no spell slots remaining. You just have your cantrips. If you wanted to cast a Scorching Ray, for example, which is a level two spell, you would automatically incur two levels of exhaustion, right? Just for casting that spell. So now you can cast more spells, but you incur incur levels of exhaustion equal to the spell level cast. And I've thought about also changing it up to where you could only cast up to fifth level maybe. Yeah, which is that that's kind of the limit of two things like the ranger and some of these mm-hmm. other like uh the is, is it the echo knight? No, it's the You're talking about the Eldritch Knight. El- Eldritch Knight. Yeah, that they have you know, that have these half casters and stuff that that's you know, as Paladins. high as they can cast, period. So I think I kinda like that that yeah, because they get they get their fifth level spell slot so far down the line. That's okay with me as well. And I think with that too, that when you get up when you get above fifth level in spells too, you're getting in some pretty powerful, crazy stuff. And I think that's about that point where you know, in in that logic that we're using for this new magic mechanic, that if you as a wizard or something tried to cast such a powerful thing with no innate you know magic reserve left in you it would almost be too much of a taxing toll on your body to handle. Yes. Which and is kind of the point behind this. Which is thing. kind of the point behind this. I want somebody to be able to like tap in and I want them to drain because when they're out of spell slots, it's there's never like any type of, you know, unless somebody's a good role player where they say, oh, that was my last spell. And you know, yeah. they, they do a really good job role playing. Yeah. Oh, I just cast a third level spell. And you know, blood begins to pour out of my nose and what, it, right. like if you do that kind of thing where you're, where you're, where you're role playing it well, that's fine. Mm-hmm. I want to, to be to to give you something that helps out with your role playing by saying you are now because everybody does a really good job of playing tired or like yeah. physically and mentally exhausted. You cast a fourth level spell. I want you to now, if you were already at two, now you're at six mm-hmm. and you're really, really, really tired, right? As and, well, and like it's that kind of equivalent that you know most people have been in situations where. You've been doing some physical labor and yeah, you're tired and you don't feel like, or, you know, if you're at the gym working out yeah, and like you've done, you know, the number of reps and you're like, I can't do anymore. But in your mind, you know, you could do another one. Yeah. You could do another deadlift or you could do another set of reps. Like, yeah, when you do it, you're going to go to muscle failure and you're going to be done. Yes. But you can squeeze out a little bit more and that's, physicality. And that's the goal of this. And it also plays with, do I do it? Because it, 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 I find that sometimes people with leveled spells, a lot of times they'll revert back to a cantrip or they'll, they'll be really cautious. It's kind of like me with grenades in video games. I love using them, mm. but sometimes I'm like, oh, well, i got to hold on to them. Yeah, in case there's a boss or something later. But then that, there's not, and then I just yeah. lose my grenades like, yep. at the end of the you mission. You kept the rocket launcher the entire level, and yeah. you could have used it to take out a tank or wraith, but you never did. So, yeah, I would. I want people to be able to to use, like, you know, if you're a third-level wizard and you've got a couple second-level spells or spell slots, I yeah. want you to be able to, to, like, all right, one more time, you know, my party needs it. You throw it out there and then right. because You're, you sacrificed your own stuff yeah. to maybe help them out with a more powerful spell, yeah. they're going to have to kind of help you out for the next long and, rest or two. And I was saying that, that comes into play too with those rest mechanics of, you know, you've had an encounter and you've used, you maybe used some of your higher level stuff or mm-hmm. some of your spells. And, you know, we've all been in that situation, a campaign where you 
just due to the nature of what you're doing, you've went, it came into a second encounter and you haven't had time to rest yet. Mm-hmm. But again, your party's like down and out. You've maybe got a person that's already unconscious and you know, you know, the big bad doesn't have much left in them, but things are looking kind of bleak. You know, you as the spellcaster, you know, you can make that decision to like, all right, I'm going to potentially make that kind of you know, sacrifice or take that chance, roll, roll the dice, as yeah. you could say, no pun intended, but some pun intended, um, that I'm going to cast this fourth level or fifth level spell yep. to hopefully just end this. I, I'm, I'm taking a chance, you know, I'm pushing that last little bit and I may hurt myself doing it. You know, I may cause some damage to my, to me as a character, but you know, now's the time to do it and you now know, and you have that availability you're not just like well yes. i'm out of fifth level spots i guess we're just out of luck mm-hmm. and and now you have for sure an actual physical toll that's been taking for casting that spell mm-hmm. that now you have a minus five that was another thing i was going to ask too was if um in some of these mechanics and stuff that you could take actual like permanent physical damage of some kind that there would be, if there'd be any kind of actual like mechanic like that, that if you got in some, you know, really heat about and got really hurt or you expended a ton of high level magic that it may, maybe it may be a temporary thing or maybe a permanent thing, but you've got some kind of outside of just the exhaustion thing that you have some kind of actual, and I guess some of that could just be flavor that you take, you know, some yeah. physical yeah, uh, I, aesthetic damage or something. I have no problem with that. I think, you know, honestly, I, I don't do a whole lot of random t- tables because I like to narratively control things better. You know, like uh, we have a madness table for it's it's like if you kill a dragon, you incur in our campaign or something that has a dragon ancestry, yeah. you incur madness. Like there's a certain madness table that I've come up with and it's it's got a little bit more bleak to it. You know, it's like it's there's some stuff that can happen in it that's not fun. Um, I would I would think that the same thing, even if you if you used those to a certain level or to a certain exhaustion level, or even for martial characters or whoever, if you, even if you just take a critical hit from somebody, I think critical hits should matter on you just like they matter to everybody else. Not only are you getting Mm -hmm. extra damage, but maybe, maybe you're minus one to your attack rolls for a while because you got something nicked. One of your tendons is hurt, you know what I'm saying? And then you can roll for, you took a critical, we roll a D 100, see what that does. And then we roll a, how many days is it going to be? Right. Based on you have a recovery time table. A recovery or time something. table. Exactly. You know, just, just thinking about it from that question mark, I think that's a good idea. Yeah. Um, but I also don't want to make it so tedious that people are scared. Yeah. But I do you want, don't, you don't want to get into that realm of in video games where you, you have to repair your weapons, yes. like where your weapons degrade over time, oh, your guns gross. and stuff like that gets old. It gets so horrible. Yeah, or they yeah. break over time, and you're like, well, I've got to use something else. Where, like, you don't want that equivalent type of thing for your character. No, yeah, know? we want, every, and I, th- that's the main thing, is I want my all my players to have fun. I want them all to feel like heroes, but I also want them, because I think that's one thing that would help, especially with some of the level power creep, because a lot of people are afraid to run games over, like, level 12 or 13. Like, a lot of campaigns start or end at level 12. Right. Because they think that like, well, if you're a level 20, you're pretty much a demigod. But once you start taking into account, like if you start, you know, you're not able to get these good rests. If you're out and about and you're going through your magical spells quicker and you're not able to recover them as fast, you know, once you start incurring those levels of exhaustion, start taking yeah. the critical hits that you start getting lingering in- injuries. I think those type of things 
I think super that's, that's another thing that you mentioned a long time ago in one of our first podcasts was uh, GMs don't like running games that late because they're like run out of stuff to, for their players to fight because they mm -hmm. kind of become these demigods. Again, you're just not being creative enough. Well, I think be, not being creative enough is one thing. And I also think that there's certain things that matter. Like, I think most character, like most, most players don't, are, there are some players that are super latched onto their character and character death for them. If their player character died, it would hurt yeah. them. There are others though, who just like, like me and you, <laughs> like, I like my characters, oh, yeah. but I'm still, like, I love all my characters, I but I want to play it, all of them. If one of them died, then I'd be like, I've, I've got like three more lined up that I could, I'd be more than happy to jump into. Yes. And I, th I think with that said, um, if you're a level 20 character, right. And maybe it's not, you're not scared of dying, but you have a NPC that's your friend. You have a commoner. Mm. You have like an entire city. You have people that you care about. Kill the, like make them fail that. You can fail at more things. You can fail at life. You know, we, I fail. Amen. All, I fail. <laughs> I fail at life all the time. Right. And, and I'm not dying. Right. That's not the only time. It's just like a video game. Yeah. Oftentimes there are like, oh, mission over because you killed some, like somebody got killed or something yeah. happened to the person you were supposed to protect. The hostage or, you were rescuing got des destroyed or killed or, or one of those horrible escort missions where they don't yep. follow you correctly. Right. But anything like that, you can still do the same thing. Right. I could take I could take the person that you love. I could take somebody from your background or whatever. And I put them in a situation where it's like, you know, you kind of get that. um Christian Bale Batman thing where he goes to the wrong address and he, he gets, you know, Harvey Dent versus, you know, hmm. his, his girlfriend, that kind of thing. Right. You know, you where up oh, now, now it doesn't matter that he's still level 20 and he's got full HP. The person that hopefully you're playing and you've got, you know, you're enjoying role playing is now the person that they care about is gone. Right. You know, look at those character flaws, look at those character bonds, you know, do something with those. Yeah. I think that's huge. That is for sure. I agree. So I think that adds like a little bit of extra power to mages and to like spell casting classes. If you were to do that negative one, um, per like, you know, being able to cast outside okay, of your spell to, yeah, slots, again, cast higher levels without spell slots, but it, it taking a toll on you. I think also one thing that I like, and we've, I've implemented in this campaign, but we, you guys don't really use it, but I would want to make sure that it's done and because it's not been used a whole lot right now, I want to make sure from the get go in our in our actual live play podcast is the Midgard weapon rules. Right, and that that's one of the things that I, I, every time you mention it, like I'm like, oh yeah, I, and I want to use that, but I I forget that it exists. I think I need to just personally, I need to like have those on some separate document or something on my computer that. I can just open up and have open more accessible, either just like on my desktop or something. I think if I just have that more accessible or, or maybe even put it somewhere, the ones that I would use on my character sheet, I think that might would be what helpful is anything that would apply to my character in that game that I can make use of, put that under my features and traits stuff. And so that way I have it visually. I think I just haven't taken the time to do that. And so I forget about it. So, yeah, I, I think that's one thing I would do because we, we, I implemented it halfway through the campaign. So I think that's yeah. also it's not from the ground up, but it's something in our podcast campaign that I would want to make sure that when you select your starting equipment, I go through and I explain to you these certain things. Right. So the Midgard weapon, some of them are so cool. They are neat. And it, the Midgard weapon rules, and there's a couple of them that I would tweak some, um, or, you know, like 
and I can talk about this in a second, but I think I would tweak the stun mechanic because some of the items add a stun mechanic to it. Okay. And I think that would, rather than it being stunned till the end of the round or till the beginning of the next round, if you took damage, you would automatically get to do a saving throw again. Um, so you wouldn't be stunned. I think that would be better because, right. you know, I, want, I also want the key point stun from a monk to be more like, oh, that's a real hit, you know, kind of right. thing. Versus like now I'm hitting you with a hammer or with a sling, you get yeah, stunned. Yeah, like you have the claim of like someone just... Yeah, punching you in the head, and yeah, I mean, like, yeah, that's gonna stun you and stuff, but you're gonna come out of that fairly quick. Whereas, again, if you in in, in the D world, if you have you know the monk, you know, doing that like death touch thing or like the uh, Vul- strike. The, the Vulcan death touch thing, and like yeah. literally like knock them out and like you're paralyzed kind of thing. Yeah, that's two different ends of the spectrum. Yeah. there. so I want you know, I want them to be stunned, but I also don't want them. I want the ma- I want the the magic and the key that points that a monk uses in their in their yeah gameplay to feel still unique and not that just somebody with a sling can do it. And that's one of the things that makes the Midgard weapon rules easy. So Midgard is a campaign setting from Cobalt Press, which is a, yeah. they're great. I like a lot of stuff they have. I have the entire Midgard world book. Um, and I was originally thinking about running our campaign there, but I've, mm. you know, I'd rather, I'd rather build mine from the ground up than tweak their you, things. Yeah, sometimes you have more control about that yeah, too. Exactly. Yeah. And so, and sometimes the size is not what I want it. You know, yeah. like when the biggest city's got like 30,000 people, it bums me out. Like right. there's so many cities in this world that we have, that I've built up now in Zetnora that are, um, you know, 100,000 plus. Yeah. You know, I want big cities. I lo- That's one thing I like about like the Warhammer 40K universe is just the size. The scale sometimes. of some The things. scale yeah. of things. Yeah. And so, so certain things in the Midgard weapon rules, they're just like an optional rule that you can have. And... They're all they're all dealing with weapons and and a lot of it is stuff that just like logically makes sense if you were yes. to think about it. That if you had like some kind of you know pole weapon of some kind that had like a you know some kind of hooked into the the blade at the end of it, you know, like think like a scyther mm-hmm. you know, or halberd or something that has a hooked into it, you know, logically thinking you're like, I mean, some people do it for flavor. Like, yeah, I take the end of it and I hook it around someone's ankle to trip them. Yeah, like. Well, okay, well, we'll just make that a mechanic, like yeah. something that you could do, and it has like stats and stuff, that same kind of thing. So it, it's a lot of stuff like that, which is cool. Yeah, exactly. And, and it also lends itself to people playing with weapons that are not chosen. You know, I've never right. seen or heard a character or even like a bad guy, and I don't think there's probably really a lot of bad guys in the player, like the monster manual, that are running around with light hammers. Yeah, the, the, there's definitely in the same thing I talked about those skills that are used a lot less. Like I guarantee, if you pulled up a a chart of all the uh, simple martial weapons and listed them as far as pick rate, there's some that are going to be like zero. A bunch of them are going to be yeah, zero. Yeah, they're just like they're just kind of boring, and they're like it, and even just stat ways, stat stat uh, stat wise on them, they don't. They're not nearly as good or as beneficial as some of the other weapons and stuff. No, exactly. And, and so certain things, so let me see here, like the light hammer, for example. So the light hammer is not really ever used, but if you, it's a simple weapon, right? Simple weapon that you can use. And in the Midgard weapons, right, they, it has a couple of things it can use. There, there's two different actions. One's a dazing blow. As an action, you may make a single ranged weapon attack with a light hammer. If the attack hits... The target must make a constitution saving throw or be incapacitated until the end of its next turn. I would do that where like it is incapacitated or like you're stunned until you take damage. Then they get to 
save at advantage then on out, right? So you get to kind of like knock them silly for around a little bit. Unless they get hit again, that kind of snaps them out of it. Right. Sunder joints. When you make a melee weapon attack with a light hammer against a creature in medium or heavy armor, you may choose to do damage. You may choose to damage the joints of their armor instead of dealing damage to the creature. If the attack hits, the creature's movement is reduced by ten feet until the end of their next turn. This reduction is not cumulative. So, oh, so you literally you have the hammer and you hit them in the shoulder pauldron, and it's like caved in. Yes, the joint of that. Yes, making it where yeah, you can't move that shoulder as fast or as well. Exactly, and so like the, a lot of these weapons, you know, they have they have at least two things per weapon they also add a composite bow which i like adding in there because the longbow only does one d one d8 damage mm. a base and i think having a d10 long range weapon for martial classes i mean consi- yeah exactly consider you're pointing at yourself because you like that yeah considering that you know an eldritch blast a level one warlock is doing one d10 damage right oh. and then at level five they're doing two d10 damage for a cantrip yeah. i think somebody that has multi-attack should be able to do two d10 damage at level five as well yeah. So, um, but the crossbows, you know, there's, there's, you know, you can distract people, you can do splintering shots, you can, you can pin people to walls and almost like as a grapple mechanic, the sling. Oh yeah. You know, you can, um, there's one for the sling. It's like underdog strike as an action. You may make a single range weapon attack with your sling against a creature, at least one size category larger than you. The attack deals normal weapon damage and an extra 1d4 bludgeoning damage per category size. So that's like a David and Goliath yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, and then it's got the head crack where you, you obviously stun them until the beginning of its next turn. But obviously, I would tweak that a little bit because I want the stun to feel more powerful from the monk. But I think those, yeah. like those Midgard weapon rules are something that are like should be looked at. And I think it adds... Like people like playing battle master sometimes because they get to do these certain maneuvers, adding those specific things where I'm, I can use a tripping attack with my, with my glaive or whatever on top of doing something else as a battle master. I think. Oh, kind of combine those. Like that one of them is just, yes. it's just part of your attack. Yeah. That you get to do these special maneuvers, but then you combine that. Yeah. With some of these other things, you, you could come up with some pretty, damage. you could come up with some pretty cool combos. I'm sure. Yes. And I think it helps with the power creep of the the arcane classes and their stuff you know as because people say that martial classes are outclassed you know for lack of a better term by at, at a certain point that the magic becomes so powerful that it just kind of leaves the martial classes behind or people you know you see people make fun of it well like well especially the fighter class you know which i think the fighter can be such a unique you could uh, role play wise you know you, it has a lot of fun that you can have with it and people are like well You'll see them do like, oh, this is just what the fighter does. They just attack three times, swing, swing, swing. And I think if you were able to like, you know what? No, I'm going to instead try to pin them to the wall or something like that. Where yeah. you're actually starting to get, you know, you're making choices other than just attack. Disarming attacks. Disarming attacks, yeah. right? Or, you know, there's some of those that use your reaction. I think the one with the rapier, if you have a dagger and a rapier, it allows you to use your reaction to make an attack roll. And if that attack roll is better or if it was going to hit you use your reaction if it was better than uh equal to or better than the attack roll made against you the attack now misses you right par- you parry them you literally get to parry it and you get to use an attack roll it's using your reaction yeah. too so it's not op and that's one of the things that like there's certain enemies and you know characters that if you disarm that most of their strength is in whatever the weapon they're using so if mm-hmm. you disarmed them then you've like crippled that enemy yeah for all intents and purposes that they not be, be able to fight 
or you know they may just have unarmed attacks which would just do like one damage yeah well the flail the flail is a good example i like the flail sometimes just for flavor you know one of the characters i was using had a flail and just because i liked it you know i was gonna another character that i have done a one shot with at level 20 was a blade singing wizard and he had a flail yeah and the flail was what made the sounds for the blade singing wizard it was like this you know whistling sound based on right, the, right. the holes were drilled or whatever and the flail seems like a cool weapon and with this now it is you know now you can actually come over top of a shield and hook the shield and pull the shield away now you've just re- reduced that person's ac by the two. way that a flail would be used in real life like in medieval times yeah that's actually how they would use it. So. Yeah, and it, it takes into account like bludgeoning and piercing damage. You know, like the war pick does extra damage to to armored targets and that kind of thing. Yeah. I like that. I like being. I like giving martial characters more agency, more things they can do. Yeah, where they're not just you know swinging away because you know one I, one of my favorite ones was like that completely makes sense. It's like whip mechanics. Oh yeah, that that like is one that yeah that I mean everybody you know first thing pops your head is Indiana Jones. Yeah. And stuff. And, you know, so, yeah, of course you would be able to, you know, use it to whip it around someone's ankle to trip them or to whip it around a weapon to disarm them or, you know, even just around something, you know, to swing mm. from potentially. Yeah. Or to, yeah, around just a person and yank them towards you to pull them five feet closer to you or something like a whip, particularly, is one of those that has a lot of different features to it. And so, that nobody really uses. Yeah. You know, but maybe you would it only use do, it. It only do like 1d4 damage normally. So it's not that useful it has no. reach but it's not super useful as far as just damage but if you can add all that utility to that mm-hmm. then that becomes a much more viable because there's some people that add cantrips as they go as, as like mage classes where like i'm never going to use lightning lure but i get an extra cantrip i've already felt good with my three or four i had you know yeah. i'd rather i want somebody else to be able to like you know what i've got a whip yeah if i need to use it i'll use it yeah. You know, whereas I've given some characters better powered whips in my games or I've given them magical weapons. And I think yeah. I like giving magical weapons an extra little thing that they can do on top of things. But I think this is good. I think Midgard weapon options, tweaking those to your game where you can martial characters can now have more options rather than like I rolled. I rolled an 18. Miss. Okay. I rolled a 17. Miss. Okay. Well, maybe I wanted them to make it. Maybe I want to, you know. I want them to get pinned to the wall. I want to pin their cloak to the wall with a throwing dagger yeah. while we run away. Now you're adding utility to a martial class that they might not have had before. Or just like the light hammer. If I'm hitting, if I'm, you know, if I've got arcane armor coming at me and I crack it and, you know, and I'm it, a rogue and I run away. I was going to say, even if it, it like, if it's, you know, reduces their speed, even by five, that could make the difference on whether or not you can escape something. Yes. If you're just trying to run away and escape, them being just a little bit slower than you can be all the difference in them not being able to catch yeah, up to you, you. You hit them with a light hammer, your buddy hits it with a ray of frost, and then you guys are out of there, you know, yeah. and the, the movement's halved on top of being, you know, dropped by 10. I mean, that's a huge deal. Oh, yeah, for And that's sure. adds utility to somebody that might not have used it. Or you're a mage class who has to get into a weapon thing. You get into a scenario where you've run out of spell slots. Yeah. You know? And you just got to fight. You got to fight. Maybe now I want to pin him to the wall with a dagger mm-hmm. or with my light crossbow that I get as a warlock who gets Eldritch Blast that I never yeah. use. You, you know? may not get some more powerful martial weapons or something, but you've got simple weapons that can still be utilized effectively. Yeah. Because if you're proficient with a weapon, I think that's one thing we think about. Like we, you know, wizards are proficient with certain weapons, slings, quarterstaffs, that kind of thing. If you're proficient with it, that means you know how to wield it and you are dangerous with it. 
And so you're not, even if you are playing the person like, you know, the old man or whatever wizard who's scared of, you know, physical confrontation, you're still a dangerous person. Like if yeah. I put a quarter staff in your hand. So I think that's, that's a good thing to have in your, in your back pocket. Cause a lot of classes start like, you know, like I think the sorcerer starts out with two daggers or whatever, mm-hmm. being able to throw one of those and pin somebody to the wall so you can get away and cast a better spell. Big deal. Yeah. You know, for sure. One thing I want to talk about, and it's an optional rule versus a homebrew rule, and it's in the Dungeon Master Guide. It talks about flanking, right? And it, I think flanking is seen as one of those things that everybody just has yeah. to do. And I've seen online. Everybody has kind of different ways of doing it, too. Everybody has different ways of doing it. And a lot of people get like a lot of people get annoyed if Dungeon Masters don't do it mm-hmm. or Game Masters don't do it. And they'll be like, well, am I flanking? They'll just say that they're flanking. And the DM doesn't want to use it, which is their choice, right? That's an optional rule. DMs don't have to follow the optional rules, right? No. I think that flanking for me, I've liked, and I think you guys haven't minded doing it, is you kind of get one at advantage. So if you're a martial class that has two attacks, you get one attack at advantage, and then the, yeah. the next one, they start intelligently defending so it. You kind of think about it logically that if you're in a real scenario that, yeah, you hit somebody, they're going to know they're hit. Yeah, and so then they turn around and they're they're defending more. They're defending, and yeah. that allows the other person who's flanking as well to get one at advantage. You basically get the advantage because they're it's it's about the enemy's focus and their attention yes. is on someone else. The the person you're you know your teammate you're flanking with on the other side of yeah. them, their attention is focused there, and so yeah, you just sweep around behind them and it's kind of a sneak attack of sorts. Yes, type of thing. That's kind of how the advantage system works. Yes, and I, so I like that better. I think that's a little thing that. I like if you're a DM who doesn't like that or you're a GM who doesn't like flanking, try that. See what you think about it. That's just kind of my own rule where I just say like once the first attack hits them, they are now intelligently defending themselves towards that target. And then if the other person wants to do it, they get one at advantage. Essentially, they're going back and forth and they're going to they're going to be pairing one way with their sword and pairing the other way with the sword. But um, those are just a few things. Honestly, we didn't get to talk about as much as I'd like to say on on that real quick, too. That also uh, prevents, you know. If you're a character being flanked by two enemies, that's true. That that at least you know helps I, out so that you're not getting advantaged, attacked on yes. every single time. Yes, I, and I I use that with you guys as well, where you're now able to intelligently defend against one person or the other. Good point. Yeah. Um, so that's just a few of our rules, and and we've talked about how we are going to have our our live play podcast at some point. We're in the process of setting that up. We got some great people. There's a lot of theory crafting and yeah, a lot of world building, a lot of stuff, a lot of world building. And some of my characters have some, you know, your wife has been helping me out with one of the pantheons. Um, and yeah, we look forward to that a lot. We're really looking forward to this afternoon. Yeah. We're about to go play some Dungeons and Dragons in person, in person and hear the exciting, hear the clickety clack of dice. And I am going to go, make some Philly cheesesteak sliders for you guys. Oh yes. I'm starving. So <laughs> I love the sound of that. Yes. So, Hey, if you want to support Josh's LASIK surgery, patreon.com <laughs> po- geeky DC podcast, find us there. And also listen, Hey, follow us on Instagram. Let us know what your homebrew rules are, what you like, if you hate mine or if there's something I should tweak or whatever. Yeah. Or if you got suggestions on really cool ones, send them our way. Send them our way. We, we love might, it. We might incorporate them into the game if yeah. they're, you know, they seem pretty cool. Absolutely. And, you know, you guys can follow us on Twitter, Geeky DC Podcast, on Instagram, Geeky DC Podcast, and on, on YouTube. YouTube. Yeah, we've got the podcast uploaded there as well if you prefer to listen to uh, stuff on YouTube. A lot of people do with podcasts. 
You can go find us there. Search one word, Geek ETC Podcast. Subscribe, please. Yep. Please. Yeah, give us a subscribe. And if there's, you know, podcasts you like, give them a thumbs up. Yeah. Uh, click the, you know, as, as everyone else says, click the notification bells if you want, you know, new notifications on when new episodes come out. And I'll tell um, you this much, new episodes come out every Wednesday. Every Wednesday on all the major podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Amazon. And if you could, too, if you're enjoying it, uh, and, you know, I haven't really ever mentioned it much, go on uh, Apple, you know, give us a rating. Oh, yeah, a review rate, would be sick. Yeah, rate the podcast, rate it five stars, of course. And, yeah, give us a review, you know, to tell us how awesome the podcast is. And share it with anybody you know. Spread the word. Absolutely, guys. And just, you know, remember, geeks fight better together. We love you guys. Glad to have you. And uh, let's go roll some dice, man. Yeah. And remember, and whatever you do, always remember to keep geeking out. So, uh, the steak sliders. Oh, yeah. They're going to be good. Yeah. They're going to be. But, but I think it should give you, Matt, temp HP. If you temp HP, to, some extra hit points? It should give you temp HP. I'm I don't down. know. I'm down. <laughs>